Live from Harrison County, we welcome you to the weekly Healthy Harrison podcast, a show designed to help you change your state. I'm your host, Gary Bowden. Our co-host is Brock Malcolm. I'm a board member of Healthy Harrison. Brock is our vice president of the board of directors. We're streaming this program live on the Healthy Harrison Facebook page and on the statewide distribution network of our partner, media partner, WVNews.com. We're also uh, bringing this show to you from our new WV News studio in Clarksburg, which has come in handy now that we don't have to do this in a virtual format anymore. Every week at this time, we chat with individuals who essentially share the mission of Healthy Harrison. We've mentioned on this program many times before that the core pillars of Healthy Harrison are mind, move, and eat. Our guest today would quick, quickly point out that if someone is homeless and living on the street, finding those people a place to live becomes a core pillar that in all likelihood trumps all others. Uh, today we welcome Marissa Rexrode. Marissa is the Director of Homeless Services for the United Way of Harrison and Doddridge Counties. And she also established the solution-focused street outreach and rapid rehousing program to facilitate pathways out of homelessness. That's a mouthful to get started. Uh, first thing I wanted to do, because uh, you've been doing this for some time, we talked about that a little bit before the show. How did you get started in this type of work where you're trying to help people put a roof over their heads? Sure. I started uh, with the Clarksburg Mission in 2019, uh, working with them to help find and secure funding uh, that would ultimately sustain their programs for uh, lengthy periods of time. So um, in that work, we found that within the homeless services system, we had a number of breakdowns that were occurring and resulting in long-term homelessness. Uh, we developed a countywide task force to study those issues, and that work has led me to the United Way. More recently, uh, as you just alluded to, um, you have connected your efforts to United Way of Harrison and Doddridge counties. How did that partnership come about? Sure. So over the course of 2019 into 2020, uh, we operated a countywide task force that really studied this issue and determined where the breakdowns existed within the homeless services sector. What we found is that um, the the, the community had been really good at investing in emergency responses to homelessness. We were good at sheltering folks and feeding them and clothing them and making sure that there was an emergency response to homelessness. So for a short period of time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what we weren't especially good at in this community was putting people back into housing, ensuring that their experience of homelessness was short um, and that they were reconnected back to the community where they had lived initially. And so um, we worked as a, as a task force to make some recommendations. Uh, we made those recommendations to United Way as well as a number of other um, governing groups. And ultimately the United Way has a role in solving complex social problems in our community. They take a lead in investing in solutions that work um, and they agreed to, uh, to allow us to build this program within the United Way. Uh, the goal is that our own 501c3 nonprofit will be established uh, within the coming year, and um, that nonprofit will be known as Resilience Collaborative. So the goal for that oh. organization is sort of a homeless services hub. And to shorten your name. Yes, that's you. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that when you did the initial study, we were particularly good at those emergency services, but that's actually changed as this process has gone along. Is that right? 
Yes, that's correct. So over time, um, services have shifted a great deal, particularly since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which shifted the way that shelters operate, uh, you know, a great deal. Um, it became very unsafe to operate sort of congregate settings right. for folks. Um, and so a lot has shifted in that time frame. Now what we do lack in our community is an emergency shelter. So um, if, if a person becomes homeless in Harrison, uh, it's very difficult to access shelter. They, they do have to typically travel to a neighbor, neighboring county uh, to do so. So what does... Um... Give us an idea. What does homelessness look like in Harrison County now? I mean, obviously, um, homelessness has been an issue of conversation for a while. And people think about people sleeping on steps, but it's it's really more than that. For sure. So homelessness um, is actually decreasing within our county. Um, and that's occurring for the first time really in the last five years. Uh, we've seen significant increases um, since about 2017, we're starting to see homelessness decrease now in Harrison County. Um, I think within the population, you find a number of things. You find a lot of people who have experienced a great deal of trauma throughout their lives. You find a number of people who are living with a mental illness um, and mostly untreated for the most part. You find folks who have chronic health issues uh, that are not being taken care of. Um, you find a number of folks who have been incarcerated a number of times and um, you know have really no stable place to land when released. Um, so you find a different kinds, you know, a lot of different kinds of people who have very different experiences. I think the the one thing that tends to cut through most of these cases is is that experience of trauma. Um, you know, oftentimes people think about homelessness as being associated with one thing, you know, drug addiction or economic poverty. The truth is, is that homelessness rarely comes back to one thing. It, it typically comes with, you know, begins with that economic insecurity. And then that is married with some sort of experience of trauma, mental illness, um, substance use disorder. Those kinds of things, when they line up, is when we tend to see a great deal of homelessness. Well, Marissa, you, you noted that, that homelessness is decreasing. Um, how do you know that? Um, how, do you, how do you count the homeless in our community? And, and how do we compare with maybe other regions of our state? Well, and, and if I could add to that, and, and what's the, the reason? Are, are are we doing better as a community, or are some of these people relocating in some fashion? Or are they going elsewhere? Okay, so we know this because there is a process which is mandated by HUD uh, to occur across the country. So um, once a year in January, typically during the last 10 days, um, there's something called a point-in-time count that's mm -hmm. conducted, mm -hmm. and this occurs across the nation. So in January, you know, we as homeless services providers and a, and a number of community volunteers go out through the county and do a good sweep. And we try to engage with anybody who we think might be experiencing homelessness. When we do that, we survey them. Uh, we get an idea of what may have led to their homelessness. And then we also get an idea of what kinds of services they might be interested in engaging with and try to make that connection. So over the course of the last five years, when you look at our PIT data within Harrison County, you see significant increases over the course of the last five years until we get to this year. Um, what we see while the PIT data hasn't been formally released, what we see as a street outreach provider having conducted that point in time count, we know that there has been a significant reduction between um, 2022 and what we saw in 2021. So in 2021, we counted 33 individuals who were unsheltered and, you know, living outside in January. So um, this year was one of our coldest pits, certainly the coldest that I've been a part of. And um, we saw roughly half of that of, of folks who were living outside. So um, 
unsheltered homelessness is is certainly re, you know reducing becoming um sorry unsheltered homelessness is is certainly decreasing within our county now i think that um this is likely due to a number of factors so one uh, part of this is the fact that we now have a local, robust, accessible street outreach program whose you know, primary aim is to link folks who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness back to permanent stable housing. So I think that you know, we, we had you know, no sort of um, <clears throat> arm of, of services that, were, that was going out to where folks are staying and living outside and intentionally working with them to get back into housing up until April of 2020. So that process is working. Um, we're seeing a number of folks who get access to housing through those services. I think that um, we've seen a reduction as well in <clears throat> uh, sheltered homelessness within our community. Um, one, because most of the year we lack you know, an existing emergency shelter, but even through our cold sheltering seasons, you know, when you compare this winter to last winter, we see a reduced population and that's because folks are accessing housing. Well, that's that's certainly that's great to know that the, the more uh, options are available in the community. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the rapid rehousing program and, and and how you're getting people not only into housing, but how you're working with them afterward to make sure that they stay in housing. Sure. So our rapid rehousing program is a housing focused case managed program that links folks from homelessness back into housing and provides them with short to medium term rental assistance, a security deposit, um, furniture, and you know, make sure that they're able to maintain connections to proper health care, behavioral health care, perhaps addiction treatment, if that's something that they're interested in willing to pursue. Um, but then it also just provides a safe person who's coming into the home, who's seeing that person on a very regular basis and is available to problem solve, right? So we know that this process is that there are likely to be a number of mishaps within the process, but we we make sure that that client feels as though they have somebody that they can come to and say, "Hey, I have really, you know, I've really done it this time. I need some help working through this." And we try to make sure that we're 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 positioned uh, in a relationship with that person to be sure that they come to us when problems arise, so that things don't get out of hand. Because it's easier to keep people in housing than to get them rehoused once they become homeless. A hundred percent. It's it's so much easier to keep a person in housing than it is to get them rehoused once they become homeless. So um, in terms of what we invest in as a community, keeping people in housing and providing them the support that they need to stabilize in housing is, is so worth it in the long run. Let me remind folks of the great sponsors we've got that help us bring this show to you uh, every week. They are WVU Medicine United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. We're talking today with Marissa Rexroad, uh, and we're talking about tackling the homeless issue in Harrison and Doddridge counties. Uh, you mentioned that you, in this point in time count, you you do interviews. How many? What percentage of people are uh, are cooperative in that? And what do you find out? What's driving homelessness? And is it different here than in, say, other parts of the country or the state? So most people who are experiencing homelessness and, you know, they're approached by a street outreach professional, most of the time they're very cooperative. Okay. They're very engaged. Um, most of them want help. You know, I have yet to come across a person who I have engaged with outside who has said, no, I don't want your services or I don't want housing services okay. today. Now, 
there are times where you find folks who, you know, are in a great deal of pain, um, who are experiencing, you know, a mental health crisis or something like that. And, and our job in those times is, is to really help them stabilize in that moment so that we can get to that housing conversation um, in the end. But most of the time, we find that folks are, are very willing and want help. In that point in time count survey, we find out a good bit of information about how long they've been in the area, do they have familial supports in the area, uh, when the last time they were housed uh, was, and maybe some of the issues that might have led them to fall out of housing in the first place, but also some of the strengths that they have that might lead them to get back into housing. So. The point in time count is <clears throat> somewhat of an abbreviated version of what we do in street outreach on a day-to-day -day basis. So our team is out in the community each and every day meeting with folks where they live, you know, where they're experiencing homelessness and trying to reconnect them to a number of services. Through that process, we learn a lot about that person and um, that really guides what we do uh, as we work with them to get back into housing. How does street outreach work? How do you and volunteers determine where where we need to go where are these people going to be found sure so we see um, our team it really works with um, a lot of different organizations to pinpoint the hot spots in our community mm -hmm. and um, and then we also work with people who are experiencing homelessness right so folks Obviously, who have they been, would know yes yeah. they know you know they they are connectors. They help connect other people okay. to services. And once we build that relationship with a person who's on the street, they can help bridge us to the next person who's going to need our services. So we learn a lot from people who are experiencing homelessness. And then we learn a lot just over time about the places people find to live outside. Um, you know, there are a number of um, different ways that people survive outside and they survive in most times uh, in groups, you know, they work mm -hmm. together. Um, and so we work with them closely and street outreach is um, <clears throat> a good opportunity for us to get to know them and get to know more about how we can help them. So when you identify people who are in need of services, I assume that that's where the connections with the United Way are particularly handy because of the other funded partners. And then, you know, we have health access that then can provide some health care and we have others that can help um, if literacy is an issue or, or, you know, all the various services that are offered by United Way partnering organizations. Absolutely. So having the United Way partners has been it's, it's incredible to have those folks on our team. So health access, um, we, we have very uh, high standard, you know, accessible healthcare through that partner. Um, they're able to see our clients on a weekly basis um, during our healthcare housing and hygiene clinic that operates every Thursday. And um, most of the time these folks are, are getting engaged in primary healthcare when they're on the street outreach side of things. So before they're even going into housing, we're making sure that they have a connection to a primary care pro provider who can start to work with them on some of the health issues that they're experiencing. Um, Community Action is another partner that we work really closely with. They're working with a number of folks to stabilize their housing, to you know prevent them from becoming homeless in the first place, um, and then helping folks to get document ready to get back to a place where they can apply for benefits that they're eligible for. Um, that would you know create some more economic security for them. It's such a critical piece, and and I didn't ever really think about it until Marissa and I uh, uh, met and discussed that portion. Uh, the idea that obviously if you're homeless, you're not going to have your birth certificate or your social security card or yeah. maybe even your driver's license right. and, and, and the amount of work that it takes somebody to get those things back in order to be eligible for 
HUD programs mm-hmm. or to get a job to get your feet back underneath you. So um, that's such an important part. So once you get those people to that point, how do you then um, get them into the rapid rehousing portion of the program? So through our street outreach program, folks become eligible for housing uh, services through the coordinated entry system, which is operated by the Balance of State Continuum of Care. Um, And that covers 44 counties within the state. Um, And we're a partner to the coordinated entry system. And folks, if if they meet the right kind of acuity score, which is sort of how how complex is their homelessness, right? If um, if they're chronic or not, you know, those kinds of factors all go into determining whether or not a person gets prioritized for something like rapid rehousing. So when we're working with somebody through the street outreach program, we're taking a multi-pronged approach. We're looking at all of the housing that they're eligible for, and we're applying for all of it. And then we're going to see what comes back. Uh, because ultimately, what coordinated entry does is they determine, they sort of triage and prioritize um, everybody who's homeless within a certain region, right? And then um, we use the folks who are most vulnerable. They're the ones who get those referrals first, right? So um, that's why we take sort of a multifaceted approach in in applying for all of the housing a person might be eligible for and then seeing what, what comes up first for them. I assume that there's limitations on the amount of housing that's available. So obviously you're having to reach those priorities. What what do, what kind of um, limitations with regard to local housing options are you facing? Sure. So particularly in 2020, we had a, a great diff, a lot of difficulty within the housing market. The housing market was really tight, was very difficult to break into. Um, now we're starting to see things sort of loosen up. Um, we certainly could use more affordable housing, you know, in our community. Housing that is at fair market, um, which in our community for a one bedroom is around six forty-seven a month, to put it in perspective. Um, it's very difficult to find that here in our community. Um, it's very difficult to find housing that, you know, a person who's mostly surviving on government benefits can, you know, afford. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even a person who's working a minimum wage job, you know, and, and is doing so full time, it's quite difficult to access affordable housing. So that's certainly something as a whole that needs to be further developed. And, and you know, landlords who may have properties, if they're going to have recipients of HUD, those houses have to meet certain standards. And obviously that's a barrier because some people can find renters who they don't have to make those changes for. Absolutely. Yeah. And and our program is very similar. We do sort of a habitability inspection and, and certain things are required of the units that we place folks in. We want to make sure that when a person goes into housing, that they're in a healthy environment, right? That they're in a place where they can succeed and that housing can be sort of a foundation for change in their life. So um, it's very important that we have developed, affordable, accessible housing in our community um, and that we have landlords who are willing to work with folks who, you know, need a second chance, right, um, and are willing to see that, you know, folks are recovering and they're, um, you know, they're on a journey to wellness and ultimately, you know, need a little bit of help. I wanted to turn the discussion back to you again, because as we go through all this, it becomes evident that you have to wander through a maze of learning state organizations and programs and and then municipal ordinances and rules and regs. How do you personally uh, develop the skills to do this? I'm, I'm not aware of a book you can open up and, okay, here's how we do it. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> well, if you find one, Gary, send yeah, it my way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we, you know, we are very connected to different organizations who are doing this kind of work. And we really try to stay connected to those organizations and to work um, in sync with them. Um, we do our best to work, especially here locally, um, you know, with with the police, with other okay. agencies that are seeing folks who mm -hmm. might be experiencing homelessness and do our best to try to link up when we can with those folks to make sure that nobody's falling through the cracks. So one, you know, our biggest thing is partnerships, right? We we constantly are pursuing and trying to maintain good relationships with other organizations who are doing this work because it's difficult and it really takes all of us working together to keep things, you know, rowing in the right direction. Yeah, because I'm I'm going, wow, you would have to be so resilient to to do work like this because you're gonna you're gonna run into a lot of doors that just won't open for you, I would think. Yes, yeah. yes, you certainly do. Yeah. But we try to take it in stride and um, you know we learn a lot from our clients about how to be resilient, right? You know, these are folks who day in, day out, you know, are very alienated, isolated from others who have, you know, nothing, who are constantly surprising us in the way that they take care of one another and um, the way that they can really persist through very difficult conditions. So we learn a lot from them. The Healthy Harrison podcast is brought to you by a group of great sponsors. We couldn't do this show otherwise. They are WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, uh, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. Today we're speaking with Marissa Rexroad, who is a leader in uh, finding shelter and finding ways to uh, get people off the streets who are living on the street because they have nowhere to go. And it takes someone with the mindset of a Marissa to, uh, to try to get that job, job done because it's a tough issue to tackle. Uh, does our area have adequate support in other areas, adequate services uh, uh, to tackle the issues that cause the homeless to become homeless? I think that we have a tremendous amount of people power in our community. We have so many organizations and civic groups and churches that are working hand in hand to try to make progress on this issue. Uh, people who really wanna see folks be healthy, be housed, um, but also want to see the community thrive. You know, And I think that those two things go hand in hand. So um, I think that that is certainly on our side. We always need more folks you know, to come and join us. Um, we're always, talking to younger people to say, you know, come help us because we, we feel like we're on the front line sometimes and, and we're going to need some backup, you know, in the years to come. I think that as a community, um, we have excellent accessible health care through health access. Um, we have, uh, we need additional support, I would say, in wraparound services, services that are really geared towards sticking with that individual for a lengthy period of time to ensure that they have long-term stability in housing. So ultimately, it's going to take more than just our staff, um, in most cases, to ensure that a person is stable and it has, you know, access to a the lot support of they need. Yeah, a yeah. lot of follow-up. Yeah. But then they also, you know, particularly as it pertains to behavioral health care, I'll say, um, and then we also just need, you know, community members willing to come along and help these folks reintegrate back into the community because we know um, that a person who remains isolated, housed or not housed, um, is not going to be as healthy or productive as we would like to see them be ultimately or, or as, you know, as they would like to see themselves be. So um, certainly we need folks who are willing to come alongside and, and walk with these folks for some time. You know, the United Way and it's a disclosure I'm a board member there um, but we've been working with you and and all of our organizations that we fund 
to really try to fill in gaps around this issue and to not duplicate resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so Gary's question about is there enough service, um, I guess there's never enough services, but we've certainly made huge strides at trying to focus services toward this community. What would you like to see additional development in, in terms of services for um, the homeless? You know, if there's an agency out there that's, that's saying, you know, we, we could target some of our resources there, or maybe they want to go after United Way funding in the future to target that. How would you recommend that we move forward? I would say um, one thing that is constantly on our radar that we're unable to access, you know, in, in a timely fashion is behavioral health care. It is extremely difficult to quickly access a psychiatrist, right? And oftentimes we're dealing with folks who have um, significant mental health issues um, who may have been treatment resistant for lengthy periods of time. And when they say that they're ready to see a professional, we want to see a professional, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> that is, that's a huge issue. A lot of these folks are living with trauma that they have never processed. Um, and that's really key to the changes that will need to be made that will result in long-term stability for them. So certainly behavioral health care is something we need to see expanded and more accessible in our community. Um, I would say that, you know, as we as we move forward, we um, we just we have to work to um, really coordinate our services once a person has been housed to make sure that we're all working closely and having contact and communicating what we've learned um, alongside that person to make sure that they're stable for the long run. Uh, because it's it's much more, um, while it may seem more time intensive to stabilize a person in housing, it's certainly much more economical. It's much better for that person uh, to not be re-traumatized by yet another experience of homelessness. So uh, we have to work hard once we get that person housed to make sure. What do you believe some of the ancillary benefits are to a community to help resolve the homelessness issue. We just hear about the homeless. We see the homeless. Mm -hmm. But I would think there are benefits to a community to chip in and try to help you do what you're doing. Absolutely. I think that there are tremendous benefits to, you know, working as a community to end homelessness. So primarily, you know, it makes economic sense for all of us to work together to end homelessness. So um, there was a study conducted, it was called the at-home study, and this was um, one of the largest studies that has ever been conducted on the housing first model. And essentially that study found that for every $10 invested using this model um, in ending homelessness, there was a $21 return. So <clears throat> it's hard to argue, you know, that it doesn't make sense, right, to invest in, in ending homelessness, right? So that's one, of, one part of it is just the economic issue. The, uh, the second part of it is, is that, you know, we all want to see our community thrive, right? We don't want to see folks who are living outside, who have no access to health care um, or to the resources that they need to be well, right? Um, <clears throat> and if we're to, you know, work together to ensure that folks get back into housing, I think that it will minimize um, the reliance that we, we have on, you know, things like police to resolve these kinds of issues, right, long-term, the healthcare system, corrections, all of those kinds of systems, I think we'll see, you know, costs go down if we're able to effectively house folks mm -hmm. um, and keep them housed. And ultimately, I think that, you know, oftentimes that sometimes this issue becomes a public safety issue, right, where we have folks who may be living with a substance use disorder, maybe living outdoors in close proximity to, you know, places where a child might play or other things like that. And that can be certainly perceived as a public safety issue and may, may very well become one. Um, <clears throat> I think that 
if we're able to house those folks and get them connected to the right kinds of services, they have a chance at living a different kind of life. And I think overall, you know, that makes a difference for our community as a whole, not just that person. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things that I've seen over the last year or a year and a half since you've been involved with the United Way, um, a lot of successes. Why don't you talk a little bit about the number of people that you've been able to house and, and what's your retention rate once you've gotten people into housing? Okay, so this one is a little bit more difficult to track over time. We've housed over 100 folks within uh, since we began in April of 2020. Now, tracking a retention rate on all of those people is very difficult because they go into a number of different programs. Some of them go into programs in other areas of the state. So um, I don't have a good retention rate you know, on who we've housed as a whole. Now, our rapid rehousing program tends to hover between 85 and 90% of retention in housing. Um, and that's just the program that we operate here at United Way. Um, and we ebb and flow. We've, we've put, I would say, 30 people through that program itself. Um, and that program launched in August of 2020. So um, while we feel good about the rate of retention that we have compared to the, you know, the national best practice, um, we're constantly working hard because retention is the key metric here, right? We can put people in housing all day long. That won't matter if none of them retain it. Um, so <clears throat> we work really hard at retention. Retention is a very sticky issue. It, it's very time intensive. Um, and it, it takes really having a a good relationship with that person where you're able to work with them on some really difficult issues. Um, so that that's certainly our focus at United Way is making sure that not only once they get placed that they're that they retain that housing and that they use housing as a foundation uh, to pursue other goals. And so as a general rule, I assume that the longer somebody has been out of housing, the harder it is to replace them and get them to be retained in housing. So identifying and, and again rapidly rehousing people is is critical to the overall success of their long-term end of homelessness. Absolutely. You know, the research is really clear that the longer a person experiences homelessness, sort of the worse things get for them, right? It's kind of just a slippery slope. So the longer you're out there, the more complex your homelessness become, more, the more complex the issues that one would have to address to get back into housing uh, become. So uh, the goal, you know, of our program and really of street outreach is to ensure that people don't experience lengthy periods of homelessness because that's when things get really, yeah. really difficult. Um, we have a great deal of folks over the last two years in particular have worked with a number of folks who have been chronically homeless. Um, and that is far more complex to address in the long run and often requires a much lengthier intervention, uh, you know, post-housing. A couple of quick questions, Marissa, because we're out of time, but I want to make sure uh, you, you get an opportunity to make a pitch because if you've touched somebody here, I, I think we hit on the fact that we could always use more volunteers. So if someone out there, boy, I'd like to raise my hand and uh, and help Marissa, what what do they do? Yeah, so folks can reach out to us at United Way. Okay. Um, and we have so many ways that people can get involved. Uh, so one really fun way to get involved is to join our move crew. So this is like our favorite day when we get to move a person into housing, right? And we need lots of folks to help us do that and involves moving furniture and getting a person settled and, you know, rolling up your sleeves and building furniture, things like that. Um, we also have, you know, weekly needs where we need folks to, you know, join us at our healthcare, housing and hygiene clinic, which occurs over at the First United Methodist Church um, for folks to serve a hot meal to get to know folks uh, and be on hand and help facilitate that hygiene process where folks can access a shower, 
clean clothes, things like that. So um, there are a number of ways to get involved. And then there's always an option and always a need uh, for folks who are willing to get to know a person who's been recently housed and to become a friend to them, to be a good, be a good neighbor and walk alongside them and work in tandem with their case manager to make sure that they're stable in housing. And, and lastly, are there nights when Marissa goes home and you can actually smile and kind of go, wow, that was a really good day? Many, you know, good, yeah. I think that this work is messy and complex and yeah. it's fraught with issues. But um, when we get to see a person, you know, go through and make it into housing and stabilize and really, you know, really grow in the direction of their goals, that's really the best we can hope for. And it's it's a joy to get to to get to watch that. Well, we, we certainly applaud what you're doing because the work of Healthy Harrison uh, that, that, that we spend time on uh, primarily is the, the mind move eat. I mentioned that mm -hmm. at the very start. Uh, nutrition, exercise, things like that. Uh, we certainly need to stop and applaud what you're doing in the community because you can't live a healthier and happier lifestyle if you don't have a roof over your head. So appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. Very thank nice. You so much. Thank you. And we thank you all for joining us today for this Healthy Harrison podcast. It's our goal to change your state of mind and ultimately change the state of health in our community and throughout West Virginia. If you want more help right now, visit healthyharrison.org or visit the Healthy Harrison Facebook page and give us a like if you're inclined. Uh, you can also stream past episodes of the Healthy Harrison podcast on that Facebook page. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsors, WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, uh, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. On behalf of Brock Malcolm, I'm Gary Bowden. We thank Marissa again for joining us, and we hope you'll be able to join us again. Next week, we'll be talking with Dr. Uh, well, he's a PhD, he's a doctor, uh, David Anderson. He's co-founder and former chief, chief health officer of Stay Well. We're going to illuminate your pathway to better health. Hope you can join us.